All right. Y'all ready to hear some word tonight? Does anybody know what season of the year it is? Christmas season. It's Christmas season. You know, and I didn't even think about this when I was, the other night, I was laying in the bed, and actually I got up at about 2 or 3 in the morning, and I laid back down, and all of a sudden, it was, I think it was like Wednesday night, the Lord said, hey, Phil. That's why he, it's like he says, he talks to me the way I understand him. So he says, hey, Phil. And I said, yeah. And he said, you remember you have to speak Friday night, right? I went, oh, yeah. I had totally forgotten. And uh, he said, here's your message. I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. He's so good to me when he does that sort of thing. And he told me the title and he told me what to do. And so it was really good because the next morning all I had to do was get up and write it down. That makes it good when you know God just gives it to you that way. And you don't have to think of it your very own self. So are y'all ready to hear it? Can y'all see me over there? Yeah, okay, good, good. They thought we was going to have the screen tonight, so they sat over there. So, All right, tonight the title is called Living Sacrifices. Yeah, you might as well shout because it's not going to be what you think. You're going to really enjoy it because I'm going to tell you all sorts of good stories you're going to enjoy. So get ready, and they're all about Keith. (laughs) And he ain't here to hear them, so he can't stop us. All right, so are y'all ready for them? All right. Now, I was thinking about the Christmas season, and I was thinking about how God gave the greatest sacrifice. He gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to us. That was the greatest gift that anybody could ever give. He gave us that. He didn't withhold it from us. He gave it to us. And not only did he give us that, but he gave us all the blessings that we enjoy. He gave us his mercy. He gave us his grace. He gave us his peace. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his healing power. He gave us his anointing. He gave, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of all the things that he gave us, right? So keeping all that in mind, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12. The best thing that he gave us was his love, right? So turn with me, if you would, and guys, on the screen, if you would, put up Romans chapter 12 in the NIV, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, right there, most of the crowd here, there, on the internet, wave to everybody on the internet tonight. You got the back of your hair fixed, right? And your family's out there watching and stuff? Yeah. Um, we know you're out there. Um, when you hear that living sacrifice, that word is kind of like when, you, when wives hear the word submit, they kind of go, ooh. You know, it's kind of that same word, sacrifice, ooh, you know. It's like you have to put your flesh under, you have to do something like that. But I want you to look at it tonight from a different perspective. So that when you leave here, you may look at it totally different than you've ever looked at it before. So uh, stay hooked with me. Don't just shut me off because that word's in there. So uh, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. 
For by the grace, everybody say grace, grace, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many uh, form one body. Each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So we have gifts according to the grace, right? Say that. I have a gift. According to a grace, so I'm graced with a gift. You understand that? You are graced with a gift. Say that. I am graced with a gift from God. Can y'all hear Branson? Seems like I can hear him. I'm graced with a gift from God. Every person in here is graced with a gift from God. Okay? So it goes on. And, and I'm going to read some of these in accordance with saying it kind of like that. I'm going to kind of add a word in there. And, and maybe I won't be stoned for adding to or taking from, but I think it will help you to understand it a little bit better. If a man's grace is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If a man's grace is serving, let him serve. If, it's, if it is teaching, let him teach. If his grace is encouraging, let him encourage. If his grace is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If his grace is leadership, let him govern diligently. If, it's, if his grace is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, wait a minute. I thought grace was just to sit around and do nothing. Grace just did everything for you. Right? That's kind of not what this says, right? These are graces that you're given in order to be able to do something. Correct? That's what this is talking about. So, verse 9 says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted one to another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Never, how often is never? Wait, you can't use the same word in the definition. Never is how often? Doesn't happen, right? Never is never. You're right. Is never ever. Okay? Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So that means that you should always be excited about serving God. About doing one of these things. You should always be excited about that. Never means never lose your zeal. Never lose your excitement. Never lose the joy of serving God. And when I thought about that, I thought about myself instantly. That's who I usually think about, me or Keith, you know. That's who I know the best. So I'll tell you about me first, and then I'll tell you all about Keith, all right? He's a better topic. So here we go. When I think about me and my zeal, I think about just the other day, Dave and I were going to the hospital to see somebody, and we were talking, and we were talking to Keith, and we said, you know what? God has definitely graced us to be able to do the things that we do. And I was thinking about Tom after that too. You know, we juggle like a hundred things in an hour, 
Like, you may juggle this person trying to commit suicide or these people getting a divorce or this person having an affair or you may be juggling six contractors out here and a phone call about this and a phone call about that or a phone... But you know what? To us, it's just like a normal hour. You know, 12 people coming in your your office because that's what we are graced to do. Now, when I lose my zeal or my excitement... I mean, my greatest excitement is when I've got both my cell phones going, my computer's going, my iPhone, uh, my iPad is up and going, my other computer sitting at my desk is going, my laptop is going, uh, five people are lined up outside my office door, and I'm answering all the questions at one time. I am the happiest. It's the truth. I am. But if I have to sit still for two or three days and not do anything, it's like I lose my vision and I lose my joy. Because you're really not doing anything for God. But it's when you're in the throes of everything, doing something for God, that you keep your zeal and you keep your excitement. But the further you get away from it, it's kind of like you go, oh yeah, it's no big deal. But when you're in the throes of it, you see how important it is and what's going on and you understand everything that's going on and you get involved in it and you get excited about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I want us to look at some things. Look at this verse, and then I'm going to probably not give you hardly any more scriptures the rest of the night. I gave you enough verses for each hour, one for each hour, you know, that I'm going to, yeah. So, uh, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verse 7. When you do something for the Lord, how does he want you to do it for him? Cheerfully. 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 Dave was just talking about that. You have to have a desire to want to do it. Let me read you this verse in the Amplified. It says, Let each one give as he's made up his what? Own mind. You have to do it because you have desired and you want to do it. And you purposed in your heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully, or what? Under compulsion. compulsion, the, The New Living says... Uh, in response to pressure. For God loves and takes pleasure in, prizes above all other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Now, quick thought before I go on with that. You may can convince the people around you that you're giving cheerfully, and really not be giving cheerfully, but you'll never trick God. Do you understand? Now, it's like if I'm serving. All right, there has been times in my life that when we started serving God, um, 99.999% of the time when I'm serving God, I have been the happiest person in the whole wide world. There was a very short season that I panicked and I went ballistic and I got unhappy and I lost my zeal. It was when Keith said, we were meeting, we were meeting ourselves coming back, doing everything we knew to do on that other church and running the ministry. I mean, we were going night and day trying to keep that other one, get that other one started and traveling and doing all the things that we were doing. And then my husband looked at me one day and he says, Phil, we're starting another church. And I lost my zeal, and I lost my excitement, and I got in fear. 
And I tried to pretend like I was happy, and I tried to go on. But you know what? God knew I wasn't happy. Do you understand? So everything I was doing, I was going through the motions of doing it, but it wasn't good. Everybody around me was miserable. Dave knew it. Rob knew it. The whole staff knew it. Everybody knew I was unhappy. Why? Because you can't truly serve God when somebody's making you do something. You have to do it because it's in your heart to do it. Because if somebody's making you do it, you're going to go through the motions and your joy will not be there. Your happiness will not be there. You have to do it because you want to do it. And I had lost my want to. And it wasn't until I realized that it was a good thing that I got my joy back. And I got here and I got excited and I got happy. And, and you can tell I've been happy for a long time now. But, uh, and meeting all you guys. And it's been an, an, a wonderful thing. But if you lose sight of what God wants, then you can lose your joy. And I thought about... In doing that and us having the things that we have, when God told me this, this is what he dealt with me about sharing with you. Living sacrifices. And I thought about where we were in the ministry today. And I thought about Keith. And I thought about the Internet. And I thought about all the people that the tapes have ministered to. What's the number, Dave? Do you remember what we told at the end of the year? Like how many tapes have gone out or how many people have watched over the Internet or guesstimate on what it was or anything like that? It's, it's in the millions. I don't remember what it is. Well, he don't remember what it is of tapes that we've given out or something like that. And that's besides all the people that watch on the Internet and things like that. And, you know, the word is going out. It's going out. And, you know, I thought about this. I thought about living sacrifices. And it's not what you think. When people think of that, they think about things they have to give up and things that they can't be. And I thought about the people in our lives that had been living sacrifices that got us to where we are today. And it's going to be different than what you think. In that verse, it said, if you do this, do it according to your faith, your proportion of faith. The things that you do for God, do it according to your faith. Every one of these people that I'm about to talk to you about were people that did things in our life that helped us to get to where we are, but none of them were ministers. And that's what people instantly think of. One of the first people I'll tell you about, and um, we'll have to watch when, Keith, when I see Keith because I'll tell all his stories again, you know. Anyway, Keith was in, I don't remember what grade he was in. And all of you know, Keith and I have been together forever, so I know all these stories almost as well as he does. Um, anyway, he was a little boy, and he was going to school, and there was this rule. This is the high school kid's sidewalk, and this is the elementary school kid's sidewalk. Okay? And the, high, the elementary school kids were not supposed to get on the high school kid's sidewalk. Well, I think Keith decided one day that he, being an elementary school kid that he wanted to go on the high school kid's sidewalk. Well, Miss Barnett, his teacher, was a very nice living sacrifice in his life at that time. Why do you say that? Because she was an example to him. And she was a person that helped to get him on a track that he needed to be on. 
She told him he didn't need to get on that sidewalk, that he needed to stay on his sidewalk. And when he went and got on the other sidewalk, she got a hold of him and she paddled him (laughs) for going on the big kid's sidewalk. Now you say, how is that a living sacrifice? Because that implanted things into his life that mattered to him lately about obeying somebody that's your authority in your life. Not only did she do that then, but she was a a witness to him, not just in God things, but a witness to him to how to be a good person, how to be obedient to the people that are over you. When we got married, she came to our house and gave us a wedding present. And he was in her first grade class. Well, that wasn't his only teacher. He had another teacher. We were talking about it the other day, that he was in... Uh, one of the clubs that he was a part of. And this teacher was a very good influence on him. And he'd tell them, boys, you have to do it this way, and you have to do it this way, and you have to dress this way, and you have to look this way, and don't you use that language around here, and, and you have to act and do this when you travel, and you have to be representing us. And, you, and when you go out of here and you go out of the school, you represent us this way, and you look this way. Now, was that a sacrifice in his life? This teacher sacrificed a lot. If I, if you, I had time, I'd tell you all the story behind him. But he was, he was a teacher that really gave a lot in times that really mattered. But this teacher set an example in Keith's life of, that it meant that you had to hold a standard up for certain things in your life. Now, that was a living sacrifice in his life for what needed to be a standard in his life at the time. Now, that was not a minister. That was somebody that was doing something that God graced them to be able to do that set a standard in Keith's life, that input things into his life that helped him to get to where he is today. Do you understand that? I think now... I wonder if these people realize the impact that they had on his life and what's going around the world and the impact that even the things that they put into him is helping him today to be able to stand up in front of people to speak. Because that very teacher is one that put him up in front of people to speak. I remember they went on a trip one time. I'll tell you this part. You'll laugh at it. This very trip, and this teacher, they were going on a trip, and they were going to have to be gone for a few days, and he gave me his car, and it was a stick shift, and it was a hot rod. (laughs) And here we are, and I got in his hot rod, and I couldn't change the gears, and all the boys on the school bus started laughing at him because I scratched every gear as I drove away in his fancy little hot rod car. (laughs) And the boys couldn't believe that he let me drive his hot rod car away from from the meeting there, from the place or wherever it was that while he was going to that meeting well but what he learned at that meeting was whoever was supposed to be running for the president of that club didn't show up so instantly Keith became the candidate and ran and had to stand up in front of everybody and do what he was supposed to do well it put things into him that he uses today why Why does that matter? Why are you talking about those things? Because that person became who God wanted them to be in their life to accomplish what God needed to put in Keith's life to be where he needed to be today. Now, there's other people. 
that we think about. Uh, I think about when I came in on the scene, you know, and uh, we started going and doing things in the ministry. There was a doctor that I went to work for, and Keith and I were married. And how it came about, I don't even remember at this time. But I went to work for a doctor, and he had this library. I don't remember how big it was, probably as long as that top step here, you know, the one closest to the platform part, of tapes back in the early 70s of Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, Charles Capps, Jerry Savelle, all the ones that most of you have heard of, on faith and all the different things that you've heard of. And every day he would look at me, and I was working for him, and he'd say, why don't you take some of those tapes home and listen to them? And I'd think, mm, I don't think so. And I'd look there at those tapes, and he'd come by there, and every day when i get ready to leave, now he's my boss. And every day when I'd get ready to leave, he'd look at me and he'd say, why don't you take some of those tapes home? And I'd say, no, I don't think so. Well, finally one day he looked at me and he said, why don't you just go in there and look at the titles on those tapes? See, see if you like the way some of them look. So I'd go in there and I'd look at the titles on the tapes. And I'd think, this is some of the weirdest stuff you ever heard. You know, how many of you, the first time you ever heard all the stuff on those tapes, you know, you thought, wow, this is weird. I mean, I was a, raised a little Catholic girl and you don't hear anything about tongues and, you know, you don't hear anything about uh, the Holy Spirit and you don't hear anything about healing and you don't hear anything about these things. And I, I'm coming straight from that to reading these titles on these series, you know. And so one day I was in there and I picked up this one and it says, um, redeemed from poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. And I thought, redeemed from poverty. How can you be redeemed from poverty and that you don't have to be broke anymore? And I thought, now I like that. <laughs> I thought, I really, really like that. I don't have to be broke anymore. We were living in a 1969 Marriott mobile home that when... It got cold at nighttime. This was in Mississippi, so it didn't get just really, really cold, but it got cold enough. It got so cold one night that the water in the toilet froze solid. That's the kind of... And the stove never worked and the oven never worked. I had to learn how to cook cornbread in an electric skillet. Yeah, that's how we started out. And it was sad, and we had a red carpet and a black... Keith called it... How does he say that? Imitation... Leather, imi genuine imitation leather sofa. You know what that is? Plastic. Plastic. That's how we started out. And we got a hold of these tapes and we started listening to them. And because we were broke. I mean, we went to Sears. I went to Sears and charged a hundred dollar tool set for his Christmas present. And paid for it for 20 years. Because <laughs> every year, every month, all I was doing was paying the dollar interest on it. You know, I mean, that's the way it was. Anybody else ever do anything like that? <laughs> but this doctor had put these tapes in our hand. He said, listen to them. And we started listening. And we started listening. And we started listening. Now, what if 
That doctor had not been a living sacrifice and gone to medical school and done the things that he did. What if he had decided, I don't want to go through all this trouble. I don't want to do all these things. I don't want to be a doctor. And I'd never gone to work for him because he'd never been there and been a doctor. He probably wouldn't have had a little extra money to buy tapes with because at that time you were having to buy all your tapes and What if he wouldn't have sacrificed and done the things that he did for us to get a hold of those tapes? Well, we would have never known about being redeemed from poverty, being redeemed from sickness, or being redeemed from spiritual death, and we would have never found out about Brother Hagen. We would have never found out about Brother Copeland, and Keith nor I would probably be here today. So that was a living sacrifice that we came across in our life. Because he was doing what God asked him to do. He was not a minister. He was somebody that got up every day and did what God asked him to do and came in contact with people because he was a witness for the Lord. You know, in Acts it talks about go a witnessing, knock on people's doors and witness to them and tell them to get saved so they don't go to hell. You know, it doesn't say that. Let's see, I think I even have it here in my notes. It says, um, Acts 1.8. Put it up there in the King James for me. It says, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall what? You shall go a-witnessing. It says, you will be a witness. You will be a witness. And that's what every person in here is, is a witness. And that was the thing that was the greatest, hardest, most difficult thing for a lot of people to be, is a witness. I know it was for me, because when we first got in the ministry, Keith kept telling me, Phil, you're an example. You can't do this. You can't say that. You can't. And I'd say, I'd just look at him and say, I don't want to be an example. You go be an example. I'll go do this. He'd say, but Phil, you're an example. And I'd say, I don't want to be an example. And he'd say, but you are an example whether you want to be. You're either a good example or a bad example, but you're an example. And that's the way everybody in here is. You're either a good example or a bad example, but you're an example. And you're either a good witness or a bad witness, but you're a witness. You're being a witness. You don't have to go knock on anybody's door to be a witness. And you don't have to do some crazy sacrificial offer your child up as a burnt offering to be a living sacrifice. That's what he wants is you to be a living sacrifice and do what he's called you to do. Just like what these verses we're talking about. If your grace is giving, then what should you be doing? Giving. Giving. If your grace is being a teacher, what should you be doing? Teaching. If your grace is being an auto mechanic, what should you be doing? Working on cars. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every person in here has been given a grace to do something. And the thing about it is, you don't know by you being the living sacrifice that you are and getting up and going to work every single morning that God has graced you to do that job, who you're going to come in contact with. 
I doubt seriously either one of those teachers knew when they were training Keith or telling Keith these things and other people that came across his path or my path throughout our lives, things that they imparted into us. I remember this one boss that I had. I've told this story before, but it just, it's very important. I worked at a car dealership and I had this boss and she used to, oh, she was a stickler. And we had these ledger sheets and you did accounting. And anybody that knows anything about accounting from way back, you had these ledger sheets and they were about this long. Do you remember them? And those green pads and you had to write the things across the top and then you had to write the things down the side and then you had to go and you had to balance them at the end and everything on that big sheet had to balance by the end of the, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I did that and I worked on it and I worked on it and I wasn't an accountant. I didn't figures or not me. I have to take off my shoes and I have to get out the Cheerios and lay them out to count, you know, because I, accounting is not my thing. And so I finished my sheet that day and I was so happy because I got it done and it balanced and I was just so happy and I came, she came in and I pulled it out and I showed it to her. I laid it there for her to see it. And she was going to check it. And she said, what's this right here? And I said, a nine. And I was so pleased with myself. And she said, I'll never know that in three days. And she took the sheet and just ripped it to shreds and said, start over where I can read that thing. And at the point in time, at that point in time, I thought she was the meanest boss in the whole wide world. I did. But as I went on with my life, and the older that I became, yes, there could have been a different way that she could have done it. Yes, there could have been uh, a kinder, gentler way that she could have done it. But you know what? I'm telling you about it today. Do you understand that? There probably was other people that did other things in my life, but they didn't make the impact on me that that did because I thought I'd put so much into that. But it's set a standard of excellence in my life. It set a standard in me that I won't forget. That was a sacrifice she made getting up every day, going to work, taking the time to do that. taking the, And I realize now, being a leader, it's not always easy to correct people. It's not always easy to give people stuff and put stuff into people and take the time to say, no, do this better. You've got better in you. But that's who you are called to be. If God put you in a position and He gave you the ability and the grace to do something, He put you there so that you could minister to someone. And people don't understand. They don't know who is crossing their path today. You don't know who you may come in contact with. I think about it as we go. And I told that Dave said, what's your sermon going to be about tonight? And I said, you? And he said, what? I said, you. And I thought about this. In doing these things, after we got to these places and we decided, okay, we're in the ministry, we went to Raymond, we did these things, and we came to start the church in Branson. Well, we're there starting the church. And it's like, okay, we're supposed to start this church, God. We know nothing. We're trying to do some things and build some things. And I'm dealing with this guy there. And we need carpet. And we need it like right away. I mean like, how how quick did I tell you I needed it? That week? Three weeks? Three weeks we were getting this church up and ready to go. And so he said, the only person I know that can do it is this guy. And so he gave me Dave's name. And Dave owned a carpet store at the time. Still does. Actually now he owns three. But don't call him for carpet. He won't probably talk to you. He'll send you to somebody else. So, anyway, when we came in contact with him, 
Now you tell me how much this is God and you figure it out for your own self. We walk into his carpet store and he says, oh, I know who you are. I've already given out, I forget how many of your God loves me tapes. Not only had he given out a bunch of our God loves me tapes, but he had a Bible study going with a bunch of guys that several of our employees today, all of which I think still come to the church, and are some of our most solid people. Rick is one of the, our guys that help us. Uh, one of, Robert works for us. I mean, half the people that we've got are, are come from his Bible study. And he's still here. Now, I say that because the sacrifices. Now, what if he wouldn't have started the Bible study? Then the guys that were working for him, which turned out to be our ushers and our parking lot people and everything else that we needed that first service, we would not have come in contact with him. What if he had not ever started a carpet store? That was not preaching. But what if he had never started a carpet store? Do you think we would have come in contact with him? So if God's dealing with you to do something, maybe it's not get up in a pulpit and preach. Maybe it's not uh, witness to somebody in that way. Maybe it's go teach a kindergarten class. Maybe it's go um, uh, work at Walmart. You know, I don't know what he's dealing with you about. But that's what we're talking about is a living sacrifice. That you are, if you're to encourage, then you do it with all your zeal. Everything that God has given you a place to open your heart up to do, you do it with everything in you. And that's where people get confused. Is they go to their jobs and they think, okay, this is not anything to do with God. This has nothing to do with Him. When it's everything to do with God. Every job that I ever had along the way has brought me to where I am today. Keith says if you'd ask him, what is Phyllis Grace to do? He'll tell you something like, well, if a train had a wreck and it was disorganized, because I've heard him say it before, it would take somebody else six months to organize it. She could do it in a half a day. Because that's what God has graced me to do. But he's also graced and given you gifts to do things. And what happens is people don't like to stay within their grace. They like to step over into somebody else's grace. And then like he says, they fall on their face. Because they're out of their grace. And they don't have the supply that they need in order to do the things that they're called to do. But these people that we've come across in our lives that have put things into us all along the way are people that you can look back over the years and who is going to get the reward for putting those things into Keith or into I or into... You you could say the same thing about any other minister or Brother Kenneth or Brother uh, Hagen. People that put them in the places that they were or helped them to get to the places that they are Who will get rewards for it when it's all said and done? Just the one standing behind the pulpit? Every person along the way that had any part in it, do you think that that doctor that told us, listen to these tapes, listen to these tapes, is going to have any part when he stands before the Lord and he says, uh, um, you you weren't a preacher, you don't don't get nothing. What, What do you think? Absolutely not. 
I think every part of everything that we've done in the ministry for the past however many years, he's going to have a part of. Because he's the one that got us started listening to that stuff. And there's been other people. You know, I I think about um, this guy that Keith used to work for. You remember I told you about the little general store that he worked for? How many of y'all remember that story? With the older gentleman sitting around playing checkers and these kind of things. That store was, um, I mean, Keith had to multitask in every direction. But the man that he worked for there was a very interesting man. Um, Keith went to work for him. I, I can't remember how young he was, but he was very young, 15, 14, something like that. And he worked there for year after year after year, him and this other young man. And they got to know this man really good. But he was kind of um, easy to get along with. This is how kind of they got along with him. One Halloween, I think it was, he told him, I'll buy the toilet paper. You guys go toilet paper this man's yard, you know, because uh, he was grumpy. But he taught them a lot of good things about dealing with people. And so somebody would come in the store and uh, their bill would be messed up. Keith learned how to deal with grumpy people. Keith learned how to deal with people that were obstinate. Keith learned how to deal with, uh, like uh, what we talked about, going cut up a chicken and then coming back and pumping gas. But he also learned how to be able to deal with everything at one time. And that's what you have to do in doing ministry stuff. Well, what about that guy, uh, Mr. Charles? Is he going to have any reward for putting anything into Keith in the future? Is he going to be, is he a living sacrifice for the things that he did, getting up every day and going open that store, obeying what God told him to do in his lifetime? What people don't understand is, say, you work on lawnmowers every single day. And you think, all I do is work on lawnmowers. What in the world does that have to do with serving God? You don't know, but the very person that you're coming in contact with and being kind to that day has a reaction to something that you did for him, and you smiled and you said this or you were kind to him and you did this. You don't know that that's not a chain reaction that starts something else in their life. And if God has you there, he has a purpose for you being there. But what every person has to realize is that they are the vessel that God has graced them to do the thing that they're doing at that point in time. Each person has been given graces. Think about the thing that you're graced to do. Is it to talk to a person or is it to do something manually with uh, equipment or something like that? How many have started a task and uh, come back and failed the task and it not gone well? I think if we see anything in ministry, we see a lot of people that are going along a path and they go a certain way and then all of a sudden it just seems like things just fall apart for them. Why is that? Why is it that year after year after year nothing seems to be getting better for them? Is it possible that maybe they are stepped out of the place that God has for them and trying to step into some other place that is someone else's place? 
It's very possible. But what has to happen is that each part has to work with the other part. When, when Alex does his part and then uh, Dave does his part and we all come together, then everybody's going to be accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. Because I think about the guys that actually uh, really started getting Keith's name to where anybody even knew who it was. Um, all Keith was doing at the time was teaching at healing school. And it was like nobody knew who Keith was. And he wasn't trying to promote his name, and he wasn't trying to tell anything about himself. He would go to healing class, and he'd teach every single day to, uh, I don't remember, at the time probably it was 10 people. And what he'd do is he'd get up there, and Brother Hagen would be teaching on a video. And he'd stop Brother Hagen and explain Brother Hagen. So then he'd start the videotape again and he'd, he'd teach a, a little bit and then he'd stop Brother Hagen again and explain what Brother Hagen was saying to ten people. Well, he's, then he started teaching in healing school. Well, there was this couple that came to healing class and they thought it was their ministry at the time just to give people tapes, just like what Dave was doing at the time with his Bible study. And they got Keith's tapes, they got them to this person, they got them to this person, and before we knew it, then Gloria had them, or Brother Kenneth had them, or, or this person had them, or that person had them. And that set a chain reaction into what was happening next in Keith's life. But had he not have done what he did going to healing school, those people I'm talking about, not Keith, then is their reward going to be based upon what Keith did or just what they did? They'll get reward on both. And that's what people are missing out on. They have lost their joy and their zeal in serving God because they think it has no fruit, it has no bearing. But every person has to find out where their joy and their zeal is. It has to be something in your life that's bringing you joy and contentment. It has to be something that you're doing that's doing that. And there's an old, old Pentecostal song that they used to sing. I don't know if anybody in here even knows it, Janet, if she knows it. Um, let's see. It's like, I searched for him, and I knew not what I searched for. I longed for him, and I knew not what I longed for. Anybody know it? Then I found Jesus, and uh, I knew that I would search no more. Who, who knows it? Yeah. Uh, and you feel that longing down in my soul. That's kind of the way it goes. It's, it's an old, 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 I think oneness Pentecostal song. Does anybody know it? She knows it. Okay. Anyway, that's what's happening in people's lives. Discontentment on every hand, but it's because they're not doing the thing that God has graced them to be able to do. They're not becoming the living sacrifice that God wants them to be. They found the thing that they think that they enjoy doing, and it's not the thing that God intended for them to do. God intends for each person to have a grace and an ability to be able to do things. And what happens, even with teenagers in colleges and things like that, uh, Keith says it this way, they shouldn't be going out to career day and saying, okay, this is what I want to be. What we should be doing is searching out what God has called us to be and putting our hand to that and becoming what God has called us to be. But so many times people think, okay, it's about the money. I just need the money. I just need the money. But you know, money has never been an issue with God. God can get us the money. 
if we'll give him what he needs from us. The money will come as soon as we get on the path that God has intended for us to get on. We have to find out who is the little toe and who's the big finger and who's the ear and who's the nose and who's the eye and all get to working together to accomplish what God wants us to do. And it's that this way in this church, it's that way in that church. And if the church, if, say, maybe that church is the left hand and maybe this church is the right hand or something, well, then that would make all of you different parts of the body that are going to accomplish different things for God. Well, say we need, um, in the church here, we need... Uh, an electrician, okay? Say we need, um, what all are things that you need in, in the church? You need somebody to lay carpet. You need somebody to hang drywall. You need somebody to, to fix a speaker. You need somebody to do internet. You need somebody to do this. You need somebody to do that. There should never be a lacking with the things of God because there should always be a person that is ready and that has informed this person okay uh, Jackie fixes lawnmowers uh, Rob uh, does internet Bill you know can uh, fix sewing machines you know everything that you would need should be right there within the people that you have do you understand what I'm saying every person in here has got a grace in order to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished throughout the church throughout the world throughout the things that God needs to be done but what's happened is people have decided well that's not really my grace that's not really my place I don't really enjoy doing that thing I enjoy doing this thing so what ends up happening is they don't give themselves to the grace that God has given them. They give themselves to another grace. So then they're not proficient in the grace that God has given them. So when you need someone in that area, there's a lack and there's a need. There should never be in the church to where you're lacking an electrician or you're lacking someone. I mean, when they went and built the temple, if you've been in here on the Sundays when, you know, we were talking about it, it talked about uh, wisdom, that he anointed those people with wisdom to be able to sow and to be able to do the different things that he called them to be able to do things. And there was nothing lacking. He didn't go outside the community of the, the people that were coming into the temple or the church to be able to find people to do things. It was that the people were graced to be able to accomplish the task that God had before them. But what happens is people get so sidetracked. And it's like... They decide, well, I don't like the way that this person does that, so I don't want to go there and do that with them anymore. So they decide, this is not my grace anymore. And they don't do it cheerfully anymore. When it has nothing to do with the person that's sitting beside them, it has to do with the Lord. Because the Scripture talks about everything that we do we should do as unto the Lord and not as unto men. But what happens is people look at, it's like, okay, stand up, Rob. Rob's going to be God just for a minute. Okay, Rob's going to be God. And Jackie, stand up just a minute. And I'll show you something. Stand right here in between us. Okay, I'm the person that's doing the job. And Jackie, turn around here and tell, is telling me what to do. But I can't see God at all. All I can see is Jackie. Do you see that? So you totally forget that you're doing anything for God. All you see is Jackie. 
you forget about God. So you forget that the grace that you have came from God. All you see is, I am tired of Jackie giving me instruction and telling me what to do. Well, it's not Jackie at all. It's a grace that you, you guys can sit down. It's a grace that God has given you to be able to do something and made you into what He's called you to be. And that's when you give yourself into being the sacrifice that He's called you to be. Maybe you don't like being a school teacher because you don't like the principal. So you quit being a school teacher and find another job because you have a rift with the principal. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with the principle. If God called you to teach at that school, then that's where He wants you to be, is at that school being a teacher. Because who knows, you may come in contact with the next Keith Moore, or the next Kenneth Copeland, or the next uh, Jesse Duplantis, or the next whoever the person is, or Roberts, or whoever that person is. But you, you don't get along with the principal, so you don't want to do that job anymore. So you step out of your grace and you lose all the things that God has planned for you. And not only do you lose it, but the person that God was intending for you to minister to loses out. Because you can't get along with that other person. Well, God knows that if He puts you there, there's a way for you to get along with that other person. But what's happening is you're continuing to look at the person in between you and God instead of to God. I have a scripture. Y'all want a scripture for it? Uh, Colossians 3.23. It says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that, the, that of the Lord you'll receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the person that you're working for. No, you serve the Lord. And us being a living sacrifice isn't about that we've got to give up everything that we enjoy doing or everything that we like to do or anything like that. It's that we do what God has graced us to do. You heard some of the things at the very beginning that it was talking about. If you prophesy, do that. If you serve, serve. If you encourage. Now, how many of you in here can encourage? Only about half can encourage. Okay, everybody can encourage. And if you can encourage, it says, let him encourage. So every person has graces that they're supposed to do. But if you don't watch it, what will happen is uh, maybe you and you have a rift and you're supposed to be an encourager and you had a rift before you came to church tonight and you decide you don't want to encourage. Because you and you had a rift. Does that make it okay to lose your zeal and your fervor and you not want to encourage tonight? What happens is you step out of your place then and the person that you're supposed to be ministering to doesn't get ministered to. We have to work as different parts of the body working together to get everybody in their place to where they're supposed to be. We are living sacrifices. God gave His very, very, very best for us. He gave the greatest thing that anyone could ever give. 
He gave his son. And then what did Jesus give for us? He gave his life. And that's what it's talking about when it says that we are to offer ourselves. That's the least that we can do is to offer ourselves in what we do for him. So maybe you're a Susie homemaker. Maybe you don't ever leave your house. You come in contact with your neighbors. You come in contact with a person in a store. You come in contact with people that you're around. It's your job to be a living sacrifice with those people that you're coming around. Because you are an example to those people that you're coming around. You do have something in you that you're supposed to be giving out. Encouragement, serving, doing the things that God has called you to do. Um, it says giving, contributing. There's people in here that, that uh, they're, they are graced just to be able to uh, make money. But they didn't want to stay at the job God called them to do. They wanted to preach or they wanted to do this or they wanted to do that. And some people, they are just graced to make money. But they didn't want to do it the way he wanted them to do it or they didn't want to work with the people he wanted them to work with. I mean, everybody could tell 12 stories about people that they know are, are not in the place that they think God intends for them to be in. And they're falling by the wayside. But that's not God's plan. Everybody has things in them that they should be helping other people to encourage them to get back into the places that they're supposed to be in without correcting them to get back in those places so that they will be able to accomplish what God wants them to do. Figure out for just a second where your greatest abilities lie. What are they? Are they um, serving, talking, giving, sewing, um, Praying, what, where is your greatest ability? What is your greatest grace? You say, well, God didn't give me a grace. I don't know of a grace that God gave me. He left me out. No, every person has an ability and has a grace. And it, time is ticking and going by, and we shouldn't just let our own clocks go by without being able to do what God's called us to do. Think about... Uh, maybe uh, you're a cook or maybe you're a, a seamstress. Then begin to do those things with being able to be a witness to the next person that you come in contact with. Let me read you another scripture here. And um, let's see where I put it. Uh, it was verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourself. And that's where the, the problem comes in with the grace and the ability to do the jobs that we're called to do. Is everybody is trying to use the other person to step on them to be able to get to the place that they're trying to get to. Instead of trying to help a person get to where they should be, everybody, it seems like they try to use the person beside them to get to where they want to be instead of trying to help the person next to them get to where they're supposed to be. And if we were constantly looking out to help the person next to us get to where they are supposed to be, then we'll find our places a lot quicker. Amen. 
Does that make sense? If, if you're trying to help her get to where she's supposed to be and you're trying to help her get to where she's supposed to be and you're trying to help him and everybody's constantly looking out to help the other person and honor the other person that's around them and help them get to the place that they're supposed to be, then you'll find out real quickly in doing that that you'll find your place a lot quicker. But if you're just constantly scratching and seeking and, and pulling and trying to get to a place... That's when you mostly won't find your place. It's the love of God that God shed abroad in our heart that helps us by helping others that helps to get us in our place. There's no, no greater joy than you, that you have inside of you than trying to help somebody else figure out how to make their life go better. It's the greatest thing that you have in you to be able to give to another person. And every grace that we have will come out in that way. It will come out in us being able to show somebody else something or give somebody else something or do something for somebody else. Everything that we're doing. But our society has gotten to a point to where it doesn't have time to do anything for anybody else. All it has time to do is think about, okay, it's, it's 6 o'clock now. We've we got to eat. We've got to feed the kids. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And no time to think about anything that anybody else would need done. Okay, my neighbors, you know, they just went through this. We need to check on them. Or this person's going through this. I need to check on them. Or Because so much is wrapped up in what's going on inside of me and what I need. But the only way that we'll ever find the fervor and the zeal and the things that we're supposed to have and the things that we're supposed to do is by helping the person to find out the gift that's in them. Because every person, it's like sometime in their life, uh, like a lull is the best word I can think of, they find... um, a bad spot and they get discouraged and they get to a point where it's, it's like, what's the use? Where do I fit? There's no place for me. I don't have anything that, that brings me joy. I don't have anything that, that makes me happy. Well, what if in the midst of that situation, they come in contact with you? And the only thing that you're there to do is to say, you know what? You've got something in you. Let's see if we can figure out what it is. And you start helping them seek for the thing that's in them to get them to the place that they're supposed to be in God. What will that do for you? Well, number one, you're helping minister to somebody else and and you've never sown anything that you didn't reap the answer for yourself. But so many people today are just so beaten down because they don't know. They They feel like I'm just at odds. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And there's been no joy. I mean, if you even look across the crowd now, it's, it's like three quarters of the people. When you even tonight, when you first walk up, it was like everybody's tired. They're they're sad. It's like okay, Christmas season is coming on, and it's like oh hum ho, another Christmas season. Uh, we got to go buy presents. We got to think about cooking. We got to go do this. We got to go do that. But that's not the point of a Christmas season. That's not the point of what we're supposed to do with it. The point of it is that you're supposed to be finding something good in somebody else and encouraging somebody else. It's not about the bad that you've got to do or all the jobs that you've got added to you. The point of the Christmas season is you're supposed to show your love to somebody else. But it's got so wrapped up in other things that we've forgotten that. And if all we did over the Christmas season is find somebody and say, okay, Rob, I see the ability that you can do this and you can, you're really good at this and you sure bring joy when you're around. 
And if you didn't do anything else this Christmas season but encourage somebody that they're of value to be here with us, then you've done a good job this Christmas season. What I want you to do right now, does anybody have paper? I thought about it later. Um, I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to write down three things, if you can, that you feel God has graced you to do. Three things that God has graced you to do, that you feel really graced to be able to do. Got them? Most people should be able to think of three. How many of you are not ready? Okay. Um, All right, now look at that list for just a minute and ask yourself this question. How long has it been since I've used these graces to help someone else? Because you know what? God doesn't give us graces just to help ourselves. These graces are not just for our benefit. These graces are given to be a benefit to the people around us and to help other people. So ask yourself on your graces that you have down on your list, you don't have to show them to anyone, but have you used them out of the love in your heart to help someone else? And remind yourself of that. Because that's what makes us living sacrifices for God. When we use our graces to do the things that He's called us to do and that He's given us the ability to do and the strengths to do, that's what brings you true joy and true contentment is finding God in everything that you do, finding God in everything that you say, finding Him in every job that you do and realizing that you're not just going through the motions of a secular job or you're not just going through the motions of secular work, that you actually could be putting something into someone that could change their life forever or you could be putting something into someone that could change the world forever. Because you don't know the person that you may have come in contact with. I doubt seriously these people that came across Keith's past in the in his past, his path in the past, 
knew that they were putting things into him that would impact his life in the future. And I doubt you did. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, stand up on your feet. Y'all were really quiet tonight. Say, Father, I ask you to show me again all my graces, all my strengths, and all the things that you've anointed me to do. I ask you to get me in the right places to use these graces as a living sacrifice for you. I thank you for giving me everything I need to accomplish every task that you set before me with your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.